finally made it. The end of this godforsaken year. I mean, despite all the awful shit that happened in 2020, I am thankfully able to look back on a few things that stayed really good for me through all of that bullshit. And one of those things was note to scene. When Rabob and I relaunched everything at the top of the year, we had so many plans and expectations for the website and the brand as a whole. Then the pandemic hit and we both had to focus on our full-time jobs and note to scene just took a bit of a backseat. I struggled a lot with just finding a balance of doing the podcast with my main job every week, let alone trying to build everything else we wanted to do. I tried a couple different things to make the show more manageable for me uh, on a week-to-week basis, but I knew people wanted the format it's currently at right now, so around August, I finally found a groove that worked for me. So if you're listening right now, thank you for sticking with me. I almost have the podcast to as big as it was when Matt and I were at our week-to-week peak during the show's first iteration, so I don't know what 2021 has in store for Note to Scene, but as long as y'all still want more dives, I will do my best to keep bringing them to you. I want to give Rabob a big thank you for putting up with all my bullshit this year. I don't have a very good reputation for making things easy, and she knows how to call me on my shit when it stinks. And also Shelby over at 94.3 The X for running the Note to Scene radio show over there every week. That is honestly one of the coolest things I've ever been able to be a part of, so shout out to her for keeping that alive. This episode is going to be a little different. With the retrospective tone this time of year always brings, I wanted to take a look back on the scene's biggest moments of the last 12 months and just do a deep dive on 2020. I personally couldn't take much more negativity, so I tried to highlight the more positive things, and thankfully there are actually a couple that we get to unpack. But before we get started, I still want to document radio. So for this week's rundown, All Time Low is still sitting at number 31 on top 40, but still up over 5.5% in plays from last week. So as long as they keep increasing in plays, it'll start climbing spots eventually. On alternative radio, though, they're actually back to number one after falling to number three last week. So crazy to see them and IDK Howe, two scene bands, at number one and number two on alternative radio at the end of 2020. MGK and Black Bear are still at number 20 on top 40 as well, so a lot of breaking even this week. I Prevail still sitting at number 3 over at Rock Radio. Still not able to make up any ground on ACDC or Foo Fighters. Ask Alexandria still sitting at number 13 on Rock Radio, and Bring Me's Teardrops actually fell back to number 21. I'm not too worried about that song yet, but definitely want to see some consistent gains in the coming weeks to show some signs that it can get closer to the top 10 and it hasn't already hit its peak. And finally, Architects fall one spot to 24, but they're still up almost 3% in plays from last week, so we're still in really good shape there, all things considered. Okay, on to our 2020 scene deep dive. Obviously, the biggest moment of 2020 for the entire world was the pandemic. Literally everything was affected by the coronavirus. Like it did for many other things, it hit the scene hard. 
The scene's commercial relevance has diminished to a fraction of what it was even just over the last five years, let alone the last decade plus. We basically haven't produced a breakout band since 21 Pilots, and guitar-based music just does not stream well compared to the rest of the industry, which is why you only hear rock bands complaining about streaming. But the live event space is where our world is able to survive. Touring and direct merch sales have kept the small portion of what's left of the scene alive over the last few years, and that was taken away this year. Big and small, everything was wiped. The My Chemical Romance reunion tour and the Green Day Weezer Fall Out Boy tour would have each been their own moments on this episode if they would have happened this year. And to be honest, it'll be a miracle if either of them happen in 2021, even with them being scheduled so late in the year. Right now, consider at the very least until May a wash for touring. I mean, we've already seen a bunch of Q1 and Q2 events be pushed back yet again. With the vaccine out now, we'll see how much it speeds up getting things back to normal, but even with it here going into January, it's still going to be a stretch for any huge events to happen. I mean, the biggest hurdle right now is the public perception of the vaccine. If you look at polls and surveys, about half the country doesn't even want to take it, and we're even seeing A-list artists like Quavo from the Migos come out and say he doesn't want it. Again, right or wrong, doesn't matter here. It's just the bottom line is the return of regular, consistent live events is still a very long way off. And a lot of people who rely on that space are reaching the end of their rope. In the fall, I mentioned Anthony Green and a comment he left on a Facebook post where he said, Honestly, I have till early next year before I'm fucked. Trying to figure it out now. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, early next year is now. I've noticed Anthony has done a few things since then to try and generate some amount of income, like live streams, and he hopped on Cameo. I've said it many times on the show since the pandemic hit, but if you have a favorite artist, please find a way to support them right now. They need it more than ever. On a more positive note, All Time Low had the biggest scene comeback of 2020, and nobody saw it coming. At the beginning of April, they dropped their eighth album, Wake Up Sunshine. It did 16,200 total units first week, which includes streaming. Even though it came out once the country was in lockdown, most of the pre-release campaign was done before everything shut down, so this was really one of the last few albums this year that, for the most part, wasn't completely affected by the pandemic. So even if we didn't go into lockdown and people could still move regularly, I don't think it would have changed their first week total that much. It ended up being about a 50% drop from their last album, and that was even more than a 50% drop from their album before that. Now, what made this album interesting is that the music actually felt like it was there for the first time in a long time for the band. This album was an interesting proposition for how all-time low can grow up. Last Young Renegade just had bad songs. They missed during the moments they needed to deliver every time. But here, they dug into their roots and allowed themselves to grow where it felt natural. We got everything from their best Third Eye Blind impression on Sleeping In to their own take on an all-time low pop song on Monsters both of which are great songs, and we know where Monsters has gotten them. After spending 13 weeks at number one on alternative radio, they've released a remix of it with Demi Lovato and are climbing top 40 radio while also getting on Spotify's gateway pop playlist, Pop Rising. 
I have counted this band out more times than one, but I mean, there is a chance that 2021 could be the biggest year of their career. And that's so exciting. On the reunion side of things, we had two big scene moments with drugs and attack attack, both of which we were actually able to have hands in. Early this year, before the pandemic hit, we ran an editorial on the website titled What the Hell Happened to Craig Owens? The angle was how much of a scene superstar he was, and then everything just fell apart. It wasn't a teardown piece, but he and a lot of other people took it as one. We ran it on Tuesday, February 18th, and one week later, on Tuesday, February 25th, Craig Owens brought back drugs as a one-man show and dropped a song called King I Am. The song premiered on Forbes, and an interview was done by a writer named Brian Leak, who I worked with when we were both at Alt Press back in the day. In the interview, he asked the question, There's been some negativity directed at you lately, related to your prominence in music compared to maybe where you were during your time with Chiodos and drugs. What effect has that had on you? To which Craig responded with, I try my best to detach myself from negative comments. Over time, I've learned how to channel my responses and that kind of energy into music. But I'd be lying if I didn't say it hurts my feelings. I guess it just adds a little bit to the depression that I have. So the best way for me to combat that is to create music. And I try not to let that negativity linger because I know that the longer I hold on to it and dwell on it, the more it's only going to hurt me. So I invited Brian onto the podcast to discuss everything that week and lay it all out because we were at odds with the piece we posted and just in general about things. He politely declined, so I just had Rabob on it to explain why we ran the piece and what our intentions were behind it. I highly recommend going back and listening to it, even if you did when we first put it up. Rabob brought up some great points, and looking back, I'm really happy with how he handled everything. Here's a snippet of what Rabob said during the episode. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. So when Tyler want, brought this up and wanted to do it, like he brought it up as he wanted to do it for a bunch of different people or like bands. And I was kind of like, oh, God, only because I knew that people would get mad at it, even though it's not negative at all. Like this wasn't meant to be like a Craig Owens takedown piece. Not a tear like, down. It, it's literally just like, here's how his career unfolded. Like, here's what happened. Let's take a look at it. Maybe figure out why it wasn't. He's not as popular now as he used to be because he was so big. And right. it's not even a negative like. That was a time in like popular culture where this type of music was popular. So would I expect Craig Owens to be as popular now as I did then? Absolutely not. Like you're not freaking Lizzo or Billie Eilish. Like thank God they are like the opposite of what was popular at that point, which the world needed to skew that far that way. <laughs> everyone take I it, this in this scene. Everyone takes everything so personally and you're just like you're being mean or you're being a bully if you want to bring up things that are facts that maybe aren't showing someone in their best light right. but it's like you have to you can't just ignore the the right. parts of your career that weren't great they right. happened they're here and if you're happy making r&b music with like releasing it to your fans and you still have people that care about you like cool fine you just want to make music like that's your prerogative but you can't exist in a vacuum where no one can criticize it because that's right. mean right 
everything is not awesome 100% of the time. And sometimes the truth fucking hurts. And that's all kind of note to scene has always been. It's just a documentarian type of space where we can talk about what the hell happened because we don't have any of this anymore <laughs> right and it's like it's not even like you could you like you just said it, it and everything's not awesome all the time and like it's not even saying whether or not his his new stuff is sure. good or bad it's literally just taking a look at the popularity and the number of people streaming it and compared to what the people that were listening to Chiodos or drugs. Like, it's not good or bad. Just, it is what it is. It's literally just speaking facts. That's all that piece is, and we're going to keep running them, and that's all they're going to be. And it's, people think like, oh, you're just trying to point out the negative. And it, no, we're not just trying to point out the negative. We're trying to look at a career trajectory. And like, yes, it may have a little bit of a snarky tone to it. That's, it, this it's is called rock a voice. and roll. Yeah, this is rock and roll. <laughs> like, deal with it. People are allowed to have opinions. Everyone's not being mean. I don't know how we got to this point where... Well, I do know how we got to this point, actually. We built a music scene around men whining about what everyone does to them and how they are the victims. And this girl broke my heart and I'm sad and feel bad for me. They've never like they've never done anything wrong in their lives where like this scene is not like Matt said they're not going out gracefully and they are not trying to be self-reflective and look at like maybe what they could have done differently to not have these events occur that made them quote sad. Exactly. So who knows what would have happened with drugs if the pandemic didn't hit. Supposedly, Craig was going to recruit other people to fill out the band and he was going to tour with them. And then supposedly there's still a new drug albums coming, but we'll see. And on the more recent side, we had the Attack Attack reunion. We were able to break that news thanks to Rabob and Andrew Wetzel coming together on it. As you probably know, they dropped their comeback song, All My Life, which is pretty run-of-the-mill, bring-me-the-horizon rock radio fodder through a Kingdom of Giants-type lens. It was produced by Joey Sturgis, though, so it was cool to have him back in the scene. It's still kind of wild that we're probably going to get new Attack Attack and Drugs albums in 2021, but we'll see what happens. In other news, Falling in Reverse and Ronnie Radke had their first ever number one rock radio single with Popular Monster. It had been gaining on Breaking Benjamin's Far Away for weeks when it was on the chart and finally took it over at the beginning of May. This was their third single to ever even chart on rock radio following 2017's Superhero, which got to number 22, and 2014's God If You Are Above, which peaked at number 28. And just at the end of November, the song was certified gold, which means it has sold over 500,000 total units, and that's with streaming included. As I've said, next week's episode is going to be our annual 10 biggest bands in the scene deep dive, and I cannot wait to tally everything up and see where everyone falls, but if one thing is for sure, it's that, I mean, like it or not, Ronnie Radke is in really, really good shape heading into 2021. In other scene success stories from 2020, Machine Gun Kelly put pop punk back on the major label map with his album Tickets to My Downfall. The record debuted at number one on the top 200 with 126,000 total units first week. This was by far the biggest first week of Kelly's career, so it was a win for him and the scene. I swear, this was by far one of the biggest scene new music moments of the last decade. 
everyone was talking about this album the day it dropped. It had been years since the scene was that active in a mass capacity. I mean, the only two drops that felt bigger over the last decade was when Bring Me Drop Drown and when Blink-182 dropped their first album without Tom DeLonge. It was so much fun to have a moment like this again, and I wasn't sure if we would ever get to experience something like it again. But now that the first step of proving to major labels that a full band sound is still a viable commercial venture under the right circumstances, the next step is to get more of these moments under our belts. Trippy Red has a rock album with Travis Barker coming, but unfortunately, now it looks like it's just going to be tacked on to the end of his last album, Pegasus, as a deluxe re-release. We need standalone projects to get full pushes in order to shine a brighter light on them. There's this kid who goes by Jaden, J-X-D-N, that I'm really excited about. He's on Barker's label, which is run through Fueled by Ramen and Atlantic, and he's been pumping out Lucy Bangers this whole year. So I'm stoked to see what a full-length project from him can do, but the bottom line is we just need more artists to capitalize off of the wave that MGK just created. If they just watch and let it go by, then it's just going to break and his success will be a one-off thing. But he made a big enough splash to create a wave, which was the first step, now we just need more people to hop on it and make it bigger. I mean, Emo's wave during the early 2000s was so massive that the majors couldn't deny it, so they were signing everyone from My Chemical Romance to Poison the Well. Right now, we are at a far cry from where things were then, but every wave has to start somewhere, so hopefully this is just the beginning. Unfortunately, we lost a few members of the scene this year, including Falling in Reverse guitarist Derek Jones, former Volumes guitarist Diego Farias, Power Trip vocalist Riley Gale, former He Is Legend guitarist Mackenzie Bell, the Agony Scene bassist Jay White, and former Secret Screamer Aaron Melzer. I just want to say rest in peace to you all and thank you for the music that you gave us. And thank you so much for listening this week. Next week we will have our annual 10 Biggest Bands in the Scene ranked episode. This is my favorite episode to do every year, and I am so excited to put it together. Send me your lists on who you think the biggest 10 bands are. I'd love to talk with you guys about them leading up to the show. If you have any other questions for the show, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.